Let us pray. Help us, O God, to hear the depth and meaning in your word. And by your spirit, move us to respond as faithful disciples. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I say, the Lord is my shepherd, you'll say, I shall not want. That's right, I heard you. You said it. You probably know that this is the opening verse of Psalm 23, and some of you even now are reciting it to yourself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Many find this a familiar and comforting psalm. Perhaps, though, fewer of us know the connections between Psalm 23 and Psalm 22 and 24. To see how these psalms move from anguishing lament through the valley of the shadow of death and onto the affirmation that the Lord of hosts, he is king of glory. Last weekend, a program presented by Psalms in the Psalms and Dialogue Project here at Duke Chapel explored the relationship of these three psalms, one to another, and the exploration was through music, dance, and painting. If you missed it, I commend it to you. It's available online for a limited time. When we see the 23rd Psalm in its context of the poems before and after it, it becomes even more comforting, and it touches a deeper core. If I say, oh, beware, my lord of jealousy, it is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on might not be on the tip of your tongue that these are the words of the character Iago in Act 3, Scene 3 of Shakespeare's Othello. Othello is a powerful tragedy in which Iago's consuming jealousy wreaks havoc on multiple levels and prompts Othello to murder his innocent wife. This is no flippant comment about a trivial envy, but points to jealousy as a life-destroying monster. In referring to jealousy as a green-eyed monster, while that may be a familiar phrase to some, when we know its context and the story of the painful chaos that jealousy creates, then this phrase takes on great power. I know of no record of Jesus quoting the 23rd Psalm, though he did speak of shepherds and described himself as the good shepherd. And he certainly did not quote Othello. What Jesus did quote is Leviticus. Leviticus. This book of laws may not be your go-to scripture in the midst of a pandemic, and maybe you've skipped over it and other large chunks of the Old Testament. 
take heart, you are not the only one who skips this book. In three years, the lectionary offers a reading from Leviticus only twice, and it is the same passage, the one we heard this morning. Today, I wonder if knowing a bit about Leviticus will help us gain a deeper appreciation of our Lord's teachings. The verse of Leviticus that Jesus quotes, and the one that we too quote, is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is from a section of the book called The Holiness Code. In this section, God gives Moses a great variety of laws to structure the lives of the Israelites. The laws cover a wide range of topics, including animal sacrifices, relationships between individuals, festivals, and the year of the Jubilee. There are laws about rituals and personal conduct. This goes on for chapter after chapter. Ten chapters of this holiness code. And it's embedded into a larger stretch of scripture that runs from the end of Leviticus, end of Exodus, through Leviticus, and on to Numbers. All of these are filled with instructions. Apparently, God has much to say about how the Israelites are to live. Jesus quotes from the 19th chapter of Leviticus. Here are a few examples of other decrees that are in this chapter. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or the gathering or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. You shall not cheat in measuring length, weight, or quantity. You shall have honest balances and honest weights. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. You shall rise before the aged and defer to the old. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. From this small sample, you can see that God is concerned about agricultural practices, business practices, family relationships, and the protection of the vulnerable. The holiness God desires is much more than one hour on the Sabbath. It encompasses every aspect of life. These laws are to structure the lives of the people, to create systems in which they can thrive, and to form them as a people, a people that are holy, a people that are a light to the nations. The aim here is systemic holiness. I know that we can get bogged down in individual laws within Leviticus, and some seem strange to us, and we may shake our heads in wonderment. One law prohibits putting on a garment of two different materials. 
well, I'm sure this had a purpose in the ancient world and perhaps still does to some people today, it doesn't seem essential to me. I think rather than being distracted by some of these individual laws, perhaps what we can see instead is the sweep of what is created through all of these instructions. We see God's desire for a holy people. More than that, we see God's command for the people to be holy. This command is clear in our reading today. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, am holy. This is a pivotal verse in this chapter and it is echoed throughout the chapter. After each section of instructions is the refrain, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. There is no doubt about the source of this command. This is not because your mother said so or because it's your daddy's way. This is an all-encompassing command for holiness from the Lord God Almighty. We tremble in the face of it. Now imagine taking this command for systemic holiness, this all of these laws, this desire (coughs) for a holy people, and then pack all that into the seven words that Jesus quoted saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. My guess is that when Jesus spoke these words, He knew he was drawing from the holiness code of Leviticus. He knew that God desired a holiness to permeate all aspects of life, both individual and corporate. And when we pack all this meeting into these few words, the words become powerful and profound. I think Jesus intended these words to carry great weight. The phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is the ethic of the Christian life, and yet sometimes I think we miss its depth. We focus on the little things, smiling at the grocery store clerk and running an errand for your neighbor. An old pop song encouraged, come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together, try to love one another right now. The sentiment is good. And I'm in favor of smiling at people and running errands for neighbors. But if getting together to love one another was easy, we would have done it already. The song was a hit in 1969. And in 50 years, we may have made some progress but we are a long way from loving one another right now. Instead of reducing this ethic of loving our neighbor as ourselves to the lowest common denominator or the easiest thing we can do, perhaps we need to allow it to form us and reform us in all aspects of our lives and remind us of a call to holiness. 
while we may be tempted to reduce the demands of this ethic, we can also be inclined to focus only on the last phrase, to love your neighbor as yourself. The thought is that we can only love others in as much as we love ourselves. And so we see this as a call to love self along with loving others. This is a worthy line of thought, and I am in favor of psychological health. We are beloved of God, each one of us, and that is our essential identity. I would point out, however, that Leviticus doesn't seem to care at all about self-esteem. I think the assumption in these ancient laws is that humans tend to be self-centered and so need to be redirected. When we hear Jesus teaching about the greatest and the first commandment and the second one like it, we need to know its context. The context points us to a love of neighbor that is deep and wide and built into the fabric of our lives and our society. For this reason, the command calls us to see the love of neighbor that it plays out not just in individual relationships, but also in structures and systems. This is why we write laws and rewrite laws, why we develop family traditions and then adjust those traditions through the years. This causes us to examine our community's culture to see if it really is as loving as we hope it might be. And sometimes we do the unglamorous work of reviewing the policies and procedures of our organizations to ensure that, in fact, they are fair and just. And in a democracy, we vote. The goal is to create patterns and systems in which all people can thrive. All levels of our corporate life, along with our individual lives, are to be formed and reformed by this ethic. Of course, this feels overwhelming, unless you also see promise. Hundreds of years ago, some in the church felt burdened by the regulations and the laws that they could never perfectly fulfill. It led to the Reformation and significant change in the church. They knew, and we affirm, that obeying laws is not the essence of our faith. This is true even in Leviticus and certainly in Jesus. In addition to command, there is also promise. God said, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall, certainly a command. There are actions to do and behaviors to adopt. You shall, it's also promise. If if the verse, though, ended simply with, you shall be holy, period, it would be as if we were on our own. It would be a frightening and impossible command. Instead, God declares, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are not in this alone. Any holiness we may have is inextricably linked to divine holiness. 
God was dwelling among the people of Israel in the same way God is dwelling among us now. This is not an injunction to works righteousness, demanding that somehow we have to get it right in order for God to be among us. God is already here. God has already chosen to dwell among the people and among us. God provides the means of grace, whereby forgiven and restored, we can live in the presence of God. Any holiness we have is from God. Jesus said the greatest commandments were, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These words came from Jesus, who was God in flesh dwelling among us and who promised never to leave us alone. He even claimed that he would dwell so close within us and we in him as close as the vine is to the branches. And then he promised and still promises those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. The command to be a holy people is incredibly demanding. And the promises of God to be with us, to love us, to reform us, and to claim us as God's own are incredibly gracious. Thanks be to God. Amen.